Let me thank you for your very warm and generous welcome and bring the greetings of God's people at Maidenbower Baptist Church. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Thank you for the uh, honour of the opportunity to preach God's word to you. For that, please, would you turn with me to John's Gospel and chapter 10. John chapter 10. So that we have the portion we're considering in context, I'll read from John chapter 10 and verse 1 through to 30. Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Another sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings, and many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. 
the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Let's bow our heads and seek God's blessing. Eternal and gracious Father, most mighty and most merciful, we come and plead that even now you would look upon us with favour. Would you open our eyes, O God, that we might behold wonderful things from your law, that we might understand more of the saving beauty and glory of Christ, that we might feel the sweet and precious realities of his accomplished work, applied to and enjoyed in our souls. Lord, will you favour us from heaven even now, we plead. Will you give us your spirit to help us in preaching and in hearing. To the praise of your grace, we plead, through Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, our Saviour, your Beloved. Amen. You might not have imagined that the death of a shepherd would be very good news for his sheep. And yet you have repeated in this chapter on a number of occasions that very reality. You can go back to verse 11. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Verse 15. I lay down my life for the sheep. But with the good shepherd... The laying down of his life is not the end of the story. There's no full stop in that sense. Rather, the death of the good shepherd with his taking up of his life once again is what secures the life of his sheep. It is because Christ has died for us that we ourselves live Because he has risen from the grave, having paid the price for our transgressions before God, therefore we are reconciled and we have the blessings of his salvation. And it is as this good shepherd and as this great shepherd that the Lord speaks to us in the 10th chapter of John's Gospel. And it comes then with all the sweet majesty of the Lord who is our shepherd, the King of kings and the saviour of sinners. And you need to hear the voice of the good shepherd who lays down his life for his people and who takes it again when he says in the 28th verse, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Those words are spoken in tones of royal majesty and certainty. They are the words of him who cannot lie. Three interlocking declarations from the shepherd who died and rose about the sheep for whom he died and for whom he will rise again. Security for all those who, to use the language of verse 27, 
hear his voice and are known by him and who follow after him. This then is not some generic declaration that everyone's going to be okay. This is the language of the good shepherd for his true sheep. There were some to whom he was speaking who were not his sheep. And he warned them that despite his declaration of himself to them, that they did not know him, that they did not receive him, that they did not believe in him. The marks of the sheep, to use the the phrase that many of the older preachers do, Christ's flock are marked in the ear and in the foot. They hear his voice and they follow him as those who are known by him. And those who are known by him, who hear his voice and who follow him, obtain from him eternal life and they shall never perish and neither shall anyone snatch them out of Christ's hand. I was assured at the Bolton conference that Baptist preachers have three points. Not wishing to disappoint anybody and feeling no particular need to establish my Baptist credentials. Nevertheless, I have three points among you this morning. A gracious gift, a sweet promise and a firm assurance from the good shepherd to his beloved sheep. The gracious gift, I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life. That language underscores our need of such a gift. Who needs life except those who are dead in their trespasses and sins? This is one of the ways in which Christ expresses his knowledge of us. He does not come to us because we live. But looking upon us in our misery, he nevertheless makes us alive. His life is ours and he gives it to us, laying it down for us and then bringing us to himself by his spirit. Life is required by those who are in their nature, dead in their trespasses and sins. And without the gift of life from the Lord of life, we will always remain under the shadow of death. And that's the language of mourning. That's the language of distress. To consider ourselves, and perhaps you yourself this morning, to be under the gloom and the horror of this condemnation. To be outside of Christ. To be away from God. To be walking in darkness rather than in light. Where will you obtain life? How will you come into light? It's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that shines in Christ. And it is the Christ then who gives this gracious gift of life. His language underscores the fact of the gift. That it is something that is bestowed. This is mercy and this is grace. This is God not dealing with us as we deserve and dealing with us as we don't deserve to those who are dead to those who are rebels to those who are opposed to him to sinners who in their nature are rebelling against God how could such a gift be merited how could we ever earn such favor from the Lord the answer is we cannot the glorious answer is we need not 
Because God in his mercy by his son Jesus Christ bestows this gift upon us. And that's wonderful. Because a gift so given cannot then be lost. You cannot forfeit by not doing what you never earned by doing in the first place. The gift given is now yours. It is in his sovereign and gracious will to bestow it. And so given, it will not be taken away. Christ's language talks, tells us about the nature of the gift. What is this gift that we need? What is this gift that is bestowed? I give them life eternal. This is the life of the age to come. This is not simply ongoing existence. I don't want to divert. I certainly don't want to spend a great length of time upon this. But it's so important that we as God's people understand what it means to possess the life of the age which is to come. I've known believers who are terrified of heaven. Yep, okay, good, you're all going, what, really? But for some people who... Who, who read this in a sort of a hyper-literal sense. Eternal life could sound like existence that continues. Like a, a, a thin black line that just stretches out into the interminable white distance. It's not merely existence without ending. It is the life of God in the soul of man. It is the life of the age to come which has come into this age and has been granted to us now in our souls and which will soon at the return of Christ then manifest itself and be revealed in our whole humanity. What Christ has given to you if you are one of His sheep, hearing His voice and following Him is divine favour that is fitted for a man or a woman made in God's image with a soul which can never die. It is the life of the age to come in this present age. It is the, the life that is in Him and the life that is for Him. It is the life that you now have that will never be taken away from you. Yes, it will blossom further. It will come to full and final expression. But it is now granted to His people. It is granted by decree. And it is then given in its proper time to those who hear His voice and follow Him. Christ gives His sheep this life everlasting. Life that takes its very character from the heaven that lies ahead. And the source of the gift. I give them eternal life. It is the shepherd who speaks. It is the Christ who died for you and who rose again on your behalf if you are trusting in him. The Christ who speaks these words is faithful and true. You need not doubt this promise. He is gracious and loving, only too ready to grant such mercies to his people. In fact, there's a very real sense in which Christ is more willing to give than we are to ask. And Christ has more to bestow than we would ever imagine to seek at his hand. You're coming to a king, said Newton. Large petitions with you bring. For his grace and power are such none can ever ask too much. 
Is it too much to ask the Lord of life to give you life if you do not have it this morning? Is it too much to ask the Lord of glory to bestow mercies that reflect his divine excellence and splendor? This, this life comes out of union with him. It is his life that flows through us as the life that is in the vine comes through all the branches that are grafted in. In fact, in John chapter 6 and verse 47, the Lord spoke there. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has this everlasting life. And he's now emphasizing that in John 10, 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. When I speak, they listen. By my Spirit's work in their souls, they believe the things that are spoken to them. With ears opened by the power of God, with eyes opened by the power of God, that they may see my beauty, my sufficiency, my saving excellency, and come to, the, to me, and I give them eternal life. How do you know that Christ is giving you everlasting life? Have you heard his voice? And are you following him? Sometimes we get so tangled up about these things. The question that Christ puts to us is never, are you one of my chosen people? As if to say, once you've figured that out, then you can come. Rather, Christ calls us to himself. And all those who come to him show themselves to be his chosen ones by hearing and obeying because they have been known by him. And so I want to know whether or not you've come to Christ for life. I want to know whether or not you have this life. And if you have not this life, then I trust you can see where you need to come, to whom you need to come to the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, who takes it up again for us, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that then is the sweet promise that follows on from the gracious gift. I give them everlasting life or eternal life, and they shall never perish. It's as if... Christ wants to make sure that you understand what it means to have eternal life. It's emphatic. Those who are given this life of the age to come shall by no means forever perish. This is irrevocable. That is, it cannot be called back. For the gifts and calling of God cannot be revoked. The man or woman, the girl or boy who is born again from above, who is born again, cannot then be unborn. The God of mercy doesn't give life and then take that life away. He doesn't grant that life and then, as it were, stand back and watch it decay in front of him and within us. That's sweet for believers in this present evil age. The life of the age to come in us, but the realities of the present age around us and pressing in upon us. We may suffer. That's our privilege and our portion as followers of the Lamb of God. 
We may at times stumble. And when we do, it's painful for us and it's painful for others. There are times when we will be bruised and battered. There may even be some who will backslide, who will drift away from this God and Saviour. Anyone who has been for any length of time a sheep of this flock will know what it is to be tried and tested, to feel as if we're being swept away perhaps, to feel as if we're being battered back by the the force of assaults against our soul. And yet here are the words of the Good Shepherd, I give my sheep eternal life and they shall by no means forever perish. They cannot now be lost, for I have found them, and I have them upon my shoulders. Having been brought in, they shall never now be cast out. Having been justified, they cannot now be condemned. God cannot and will not twice demand the judgment that has once and for all been laid upon the soul and the body of his beloved Son, however low we may be, however difficult it may become, God's people are held by God and must be restored to him. You find this kind of language in Psalm 37 and verse 24. The steps of a good man, says the psalmist, are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way, though he fall doesn't mean you have to, but should you? Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. What a sigh of relief that puts in the soul of God's people, especially those who may feel that perhaps even now we are being brought low, who feel perhaps that we have been at a distance from our God. Yes, we may fall, but because of the promise of God, we shall not be utterly cast down. The Lord upholds with his hand. Now you notice that this is far from being the promise of an easy life. Christ does not say that we shall lose nothing. As his servants, we may lose much We may even lose that which the world thinks the world of. We may lose this life itself. We may come to the point where we are called to sacrifice the breath of our bodies for the sake of our Saviour. And you may lose much and you may lose all that this world has to offer, but you cannot lose the life of the age to come. You cannot lose the life which the good shepherd gives to his sheep because he gives us everlasting life and he promises us that we shall then by no means everlastingly perish. This is a gift which once given is never taken away. And it's because of the strength of the Saviour. It's because of the kindness of the shepherd It's because of the favour of God that this promise stands. Because brothers and sisters, if it were up to us, if Christ, as it were, said, I'll put you on your feet, now see how you get on. How long would you last? 
We're not like those kids' toys, are we? With the, the weight in the bottom, you knock them and they just bounce back up, not in our own strength. Left to our own devices, relying upon our own wisdom, standing in our own strength, we'd be falling in a moment. It's tragic, isn't it? If I could lose myself, I would. Apart from Christ, utterly undone. See, the faith that saves brings us to Christ and keeps us in Christ. A Christian is a person who is united to Jesus by faith. Faith is never something that I once did. It's always something that I now have if it's the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Yes, I may remember the time I first repented and believed, but I am a repenter. I am a believer. It's not my past experience. It is my present experience. And by that, I am united to Christ, always turning my back upon sin, always looking in love and faith to my God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so despite my ongoing weakness, despite my remaining sin, I cannot and will not lose the life that Christ has given to me. Christ's given life means that this second death cannot touch you and damnation will never come upon you. When Christ gives life, it stays given. I give my sheep eternal life and they shall never perish. And then following on from the gracious gift, overlaid with the sweet promise comes this firm assurance. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. That tells us, first of all, about the danger that we face if we're the sheep of Christ. Why would anybody need to be told, don't worry, no one will ever snatch you out of my hand? There's a warning in there, isn't there? There's going to be someone or someones who are going to try and snatch you out of my hand. That's going to be your experience as the sheep of my flock. And there will be much and there will be many who will try to snatch us out of Christ's hands. And you feel the force of that language, don't you? The kind of assault that is implied upon those in whom uh, Christ has put this life. Those upon whom he has his hand. There are powerful foes and there are terrible adversaries and one great and awful foe. And one fierce and vile adversary. Remember that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places. And that works itself out in all kinds of ways. In direct spiritual assaults upon God's people without any intermediary, if I can put it that way. Those awful temptations that seem to erupt out of your soul coming from nowhere, Perhaps at the very moments when you're seeking most to devote yourself to Christ. Those blasphemous notions that seem to erupt, to, to press into you. Where does this come from? 
the ugliest and the vilest of thoughts and desires that you might have wished were once and forever put to death. The more subtle temptations. The slow grinding pressure of life in a culture and society where eternity is put at the furthest possible distance and ideally blotted out of your sensitivity. And here and now presses in upon you as if nothing else mattered. And your spiritual sensitivity just gets all the the vigor leached out of it by degrees until we become, if Satan had his way, almost indistinguishable from the world. The false teaching. Often just the one degree removed from the true. Because the best lies sound a little bit true. And therefore they can creep into the most faithful congregations. We might even say that we still believe all the things we used to believe. We've just changed the meaning of the words that we still say that we believe. So we can sound orthodox, but we've left the faith once for all delivered to the saints. The Lord Jesus uses various images to describe the kind of threats that we face. Most assuredly, chapter 10 and verse 1, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Those who try and get over the wall or under the wall, they'll find a way into the flock. They won't come in by the door. Who is the door? Christ himself. But they'll try and get in there and and there they'll be amongst you as if a sheep, as if a shepherd, but not themselves one of Christ's. Verse 8, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. That is the threat that God's people had faced. Verses 12 and 13, a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. At the very moment when the sheep needed a protector, that's when the hireling cuts and runs. He's there for the money. He's certainly not going to expose himself to any kind of danger. He's not a David-like shepherd, is he? When the, the lambs of the flock were in danger, when the lion or the bear came against the flock that had been put in David's charge, what did David do? He could go home to his father and he could report, Father, all the sheep are safe. Because when they were threatened, I put myself on the line. Christ can say to his father, Father, all the sheep you've given me are safe. Not because I simply put my life on the line, but because I laid down my life for them. The world is full of hireling so-called shepherds. The kind of shepherds that Ezekiel warned God's people against. Those who are in it for themselves. Those who quite literally want to fleece the sheep. Their bruisings, their sorrows, their griefs, their wounds, they're nothing to the hireling. The hireling's in it for himself. And the moment there's any danger, it's the sheep who are left in the firing line. The hireling flees just because he is a hireling. He has no real care for the sheep. It's terrifying, isn't it? 
if you're a sheep, wolves, and lions, and bears. Sheep don't carry weapons, do they? <laughs> sheep don't wear armour. They haven't got claws, no teeth for self-defence or assault. I mean, they can be a little bit uppity. They can butt fairly well. But when the predator comes, the sheep are in danger. Or would be if they were not in the hand of the good shepherd. And Christ tells us, you are going to be assaulted. From within, from without, the world, the flesh, the devil. But there will be those in the spiritual realm and in the expression of that in this present world who will do everything that they can to snatch you out of his hand. That's the danger we face. And Christ is, by at least implication, warning us that that's the reality. But not only the danger we face, but the security we have. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. They may try, but they must fail because of the grip of the good shepherd upon his sheep. You see, he, he's told us we're in the fold. That's a good place to be. It's clear we're under his eye. That's a good place to be. But now he tells us, you are in my hand. And that's the best place to be. Because he and his father are one. It's language that our Lord is quite possibly picking up, echoing from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 3. The Lord has come from Sinai. He's dawned on his people from Seir. He's shone forth from Mount Paran. And he has come with ten thousands of saints. From his right hand came a fiery law for them. Yes, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. Not a few. Not some. But every one of his chosen people are in his mighty hand. The same language is found in the book of the Psalms, for example, in 95 and verse 7. How are we described? He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. It is his power that has saved us, and it is his power that is keeping us. And you need to see the hand of the good shepherd. You can properly visualize that hand. It is a hand that has had a nail hammered through it. If he has given his life for the sheep, is he going to lose us now? If he's laid down his life that we might have life if he has so suffered and so died in order to make us his own, if that is the price that he has paid at the command and by the will of his loving Heavenly Father, that we should be his and he should be ours. Can you imagine that the Good Shepherd is now going to let you go?
I don't know if some of you boys and girls have ever really been in danger. Maybe some of you grown-ups have really been in danger. You can remember being in danger when you were boys and girls. You ever had to call out to dad or mum, help me? Perhaps you've been in the swimming pool and you've not been able to keep yourself up. Help me. Perhaps you've been about to, to fall down some rocks. Perhaps you've been in some kind of desperate trouble and you need the strength of another. What is your security? Someone who loves you reaches out and grabs you. And you know, perhaps without having to be told, that with every fibre of their being and with every breath in their body, they will die before they let you go. Christ did die that we might never be let go. And he rose again in demonstration of his saving power that all to whom he gave that gracious gift of everlasting life might not ever forever perish and that no one would ever snatch us out of his hand. It is the nail-pierced hand of the Saviour who holds you fast. Again, this language does not at all suggest or imply, let alone state, that we will be saved from all pain and sorrow in this world. What it does mean is that we will be saved through all pain and sorrow. My friends, if we are God's people, there is nothing through which we can pass which can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus saves us, and that means Jesus Christ keeps us. It is the language of divine goodness. You have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who puts his faith in him. It is the language of divine faithfulness. It is the language of the covenant love of the covenant-keeping God. When the eternal one says, I am your God and you are my people. You know that that is language that is good for all eternity. It is the language of divine love. Here is the Christ who has set his love upon his people and will never take it away. It is the language of divine strength. The language of a God who if you will, rolls up his sleeves, spits on his hands to go to work to accomplish something which cannot be undone. And it means that all those who are hearing his voice and everyone who is following after him is kept now and forever. Now, my friends, if you are not Christians here this morning, this should draw you to Christ. I hope you, you can see at least something today of how attractive such a saviour is. You may be here this morning and you may be saying, if I were to ask you, are you a Christian? You might say, I hope so. 
I've known people who seem to have spent their whole lives saying, I hope so. When you push them a little bit, what they're often saying is, well, I, I, either I would like to come to Christ or I think I may have come to Christ, but I'm not sure I can stay with Christ. They speak as if it would be presumption on their part to say, I am safe in him. See, the problem is they're looking entirely in the wrong place. Can I keep hold upon Jesus Christ? That's not really the question that the Bible ever puts to us. Rather, the question is this, can Jesus Christ keep hold upon you? Read John 10, 28. What's the answer? Of course he can. If you come to him, will he by any means cast you out? Not at all. If you come to him, is he able to save you, to bless you, to keep you to and through the very end of this life, to and through the very end of this world? into the world which is to come, into the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. If you've been now united to him by faith, though now you bear the image of the man of dust, can you not be confident that you must also bear the image of the heavenly man? Do you want to be safe? To whom else will you go? He has the words of eternal life and that should draw you to him that should attract you to him that should compel you toward him who else can deliver you who else can save you to whom else will you turn and where else will you look perhaps for some of God's people here it was that which brought you to Christ I need someone who can take care of my soul. I need someone to whom I can entrust myself without doubt. Perhaps you'd been disappointed a thousand, thousand, thousand times before. I don't know if you saw the news. This may mean absolutely nothing to you, or you might be going, oh yeah, you might not want anybody to know that you can go, oh yeah. But a man called Matthew Perry died in the last few hours. Chandler Bing, from what is, I'm told, the, the most popular sitcom of the last 20 or 25 years, record-breaking. A man who, according to his own autobiography, lived and probably died, terrified that no one could actually love him. It seems that there had been experiences in his life, especially early on, that left him with the assurance that he would always be let down. That someone would always drop him. I wonder if anybody ever told him, there's a saviour who never lets you go. There is a love that is unshakable and unbreakable. And it's the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. People might have looked at that man and said, he's got everything that the world can offer. But he had not the Christ, it seems, who offers himself to sinners. Who else can deliver you?
See, the Bible doesn't say you're lovely, so go to find someone who can love you. It says to us who are utterly unlovely, vile, foul, helpless, and hopeless. There is a Christ who loves the unlovely and makes us lovely by his love. That should draw you to Christ, however you are, whoever you are, whatever you are. But this is the Jesus who gives eternal life to those who need it, so that you shall by no means perish forever, and no one will ever be able to snatch you out of his hand. And this should keep you near Christ. You're a Christian? Where are you safe? Where are you happy? Where are things well? It is when you are abiding in him. The happiest, the sweetest, and the safest place for a child of God is to be hid in that cleft, to be close to him, bound in his side. In his hands, all is well. The storms may rage about us, but we are in the beloved. The devil may rage against us, but we are safe in the grip of him who is stronger than that strong man. The strongest has come and he has saved his people. He has us that we might have him. When are we most exposed? When do we feel most fearful? When are we most troubled? When do we most rock? It is in those moments and seasons when a distance begins to grow between us and the Saviour. But to be close to him is to be safe and secure, both objectively and subjectively. We can know it and we can feel it because we are clinging to Christ and we find him clinging to us. So often in this life, we are governed by our own feelings of feebleness. We make our decisions based on what we perceive to be our danger. That's why we're afraid of men, isn't it? That's why we seek their smile or tremble at their frown. Because we think they can do something to us. Brothers and sisters, our good shepherd has given us eternal life. We can't perish if we're his, and no one will ever snatch us out of his hand. We think we're in danger, but we're not if we are Christ's and he is ours. The fact of the shepherd's saving strength, the gift of life to all who believe, that's what should establish you. That's what should stabilize you. That's what should energize you. That's what should lift up your soul, lift up your eyes to the Christ who laid down his life, the shepherd who sacrificed himself for the sheep. And whoever believes in him, no perishing. It's no longer possible. Everlasting life is God's pledge and portion to us now and always. Can you say that this morning? He has given me 
eternal life. You can say it with certainty. Not I hope I shall never perish. Christ has promised. I am safe. You shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch you out of my hand. Amen. Let's pray together. God of mercy and God of grace, what marvels of heavenly blessing we see in Christ and Him crucified, the Good Shepherd who gave His life for the sheep, the Saviour of sinners with His so great salvation. O Lord God Almighty, will You grant that those who do not know Him might come to Him this day and those who, who have found him and have found that they've been found by him those who've heard the voice of the shepherd calling seeking and drawing those who've been brought into his path and who are now following hard after him may we all God live as those whose lives are sweetly dominated and happily governed by this reality that you all God in and by your son have given to us a life which cannot fade or fail, that we cannot forever perish, that whatever may come against us, no one is ever going to snatch us out of the Son's hand, because you, our Father, and your beloved Son are one. We are in that heavenly double grip, and so safe and happy forever. Blessed be the Lord.